your Division II champions, Grand Valley State. Congratulations to the Lakers. For the sixth time in program history, they are the national champions. Grand Valley has its third national championship in four years. Grand Valley State celebrating a national championship in Division II. It's the Ankara Podcast, presented by the Grand Valley Sports Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a Thanksgiving week edition of the Anchor Up podcast presented by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, your health, our passion. Jake Levy, Tim Knott, as always with you. We have a special guest this week now that fall camp for football has wrapped up. Head coach Matt Mitchell will be on with us here today as we talk about the GVSU football fall schedule that was different than any of the 49 seasons prior. So as we get things started here, first of all, Coach Mitch, how you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great to have you on as well. I know Tim's been around your program a lot this fall, and it's been a, a, a bit of a wild roller coaster this year. Let's go all the way back as we get things started here to March 17th. You guys maybe had one or two practices in the Kelly. You were going through your regular spring season, then all of a sudden everything gets a kibosh. Take us back to that moment and kind of what it was like in the football center when that happened. Yeah, I mean, we, we were able to get in two helmet-only practices, and then, you know, I think uh, I was actually at an alumni event I was some football alumni and, and word came out that the university was making the decision to close. And then there was some discussion early on about, you know, do we look at athletics still? Um, you know, what was happening with that? But, uh, you know, right decision was made to stop, stop that. That was, um, you know, it was a difficult time. I, I think, you know, within the context of a lot of things that had happened since November, 2019, um, there'd been a lot of changes within our football program from a, from a coaching staff perspective. And we'd have went through some adversity. And it was kind of get guy, good to get the guys back together. And they'd stuck with us in that time. And then, you know, basically the whole thing kind of gets disbanded again. So we really had to, uh, you know, shift into a lot of different, uh, you know, modes of communicating with our players. Uh, we were not a complete coaching staff at that time. I did not have a receiver coach yet. Um, and, you know, so in, in totality, I think between January and, uh, you know, July 1st, we interviewed uh, you know, quite a few candidates for three positions that were open. So we had a lot of work to do. And, um, had to had to hire a receiver coach, uh, had to hire an offensive line coach, and had our running back coach. Uh, not on March seventeenth, but in the in the months of March, April, May, and then again trying to stay in touch with our guys. It was uh, there was a lot going on. So even though you know, okay, football shut down, I felt like to be honest with you, Jake and and, and Tim, it was one of the busier times I've had as a head coach. And uh, then we started getting into potentially playing the season and COVID protocols. Um, you know, and nobody should feel sorry for it. It was, uh, it was a very challenging time. And, uh, but I appreciate the support we had from the university athletic department, um, you know, our players, and we had a lot of support and our, our crew really stuck together tight um, in the face of a lot of adversity. Let's talk about that coaching hiring process, because as you know, having a coaching staff is so important. And right now it's so hard to hire any position without really being able to meet people face to face and get a feel for them. So take us through the virtual, if you will, hiring process of adding to your coaching staff. Yeah, not easy. Um, you know, had to had to really spend a lot of time on that. I mean, obviously, uh, when a position comes available, and we had four positions, all four positions on offense uh, came came open in this off season. You know, we have four new guys. One of the guys been with us, Matt Vitson, but we had four guys new roles. Um, you know, you, that you have to go through that. I, you know, I, I think the first thing you do is um, you have to identify what you're looking for. You know, instead you start reaching out, you have to start with, okay, what, what do we need out of these positions? What's the best thing for the people in that room in Grand Valley football? And then we start to tap into our network. Um, you know, you know I've, I've been fortunate to be a part of some really great coaching staffs in Grand Valley, and there are 
um, guys that I've worked with that are at a lot of different places. You know, um, you guys had a tweet. I think Tim had a tweet about um, the Miami, Ohio Buffalo game. There's a lot of connections to coaches there and, you know, Notre Dame and everybody that's a Laker fan knows the coach connections. You tap into those resources, say, Hey, I need a, you know, line coach, need a, need a running back coach, need a receiver coach. And you go to work on your, your network and then word gets out. Um, even if you don't advertise for it, word gets out, but eventually through university protocols, you, you advertise it and you start to sort through some names. Maybe you don't know, but obviously, you know, a lot of phone calls, a lot of phone calls and then phone calls transitioned into uh, zoom calls. And then I thought we did a great job of technology. We hosted zoom interviews in which we were, um, you know, had coaches zooming in and then the, the coach candidate was having some tape and some film and we were talking football virtually. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of those, and, and it's a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say, I guess, scary, but you know, it's interesting for me. I've never really hired a coach without, you know, meeting them, having them on campus and interviewing that process. Uh, but, uh, spent a lot of time checking resources, doing a lot of things to, to make sure it was the best for Grand Valley football. And again, you know, we haven't played a game yet, but uh, I'm so excited about this staff and the future of this program. And we spent a lot of work, um, trying to make sure that we got the right fit for our program and for our players. Talk a little bit about um, the student athlete during this time. Um, a, lot of, a lot of unknowns in terms of, uh, you know, through the spring and then the summer. What was the, what was the plan of action for, for your student athletes? Well, you know, I think first when the COVID hit, um, the first thing that, you know, because at that point in time in March, we still thought we were playing a season in 21. Okay, so I think there's, you know, basically three buckets that we shifted into, you know, one of the buckets was academic support. Um, you know, Damon Arnold, our athletic department does a phenomenal job with that, but you know, coaches are involved in that too. So um, no one really has a ton of experience with the complete virtual shift in education. Um, so we, we, we had to navigate that. Okay. How does that look like? Do we have the technology? Do we have the laptops? Do we have the Wi-Fi? Can we get this done? Where are you at? Do you have access? What does your schedule look like? So a lot of time really digging into that transition to the online education because initially it didn't look like the NCAA was going to give waivers for eligibility. So again, like as a football coach, like, well, we, we need these guys to be eligible. So we got to get this right in regards to the education piece. So that was one. Two, strength and conditioning, player development, okay, in, in an environment where no weight rooms are open, okay, in Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and Illinois, where our players are from, we got no access to weights, none. How, how do we get this done? You work with, uh, you know, two strength guys down here, Jimmy Rodenberger and Matt Fluter. Uh, start looking at body weight exercises. Start looking at different protocols um, and accountability for that. You know, we had the guys report back on Google Docs, the reps and stuff they were doing in regards to time push-up tests. Um, they were having to use an app called Map My Run uh, to record their conditioning segments and then screenshot that and send this back to us. Um, you know, trying to do some things, you know, Fluter and Rody did a great job with YouTube videos of, of bodyweight workouts and how to do that stuff. Um, we used yoga, you know, we were, we were zooming in on yoga sessions, just, just, just trying to make sure, cause that was my biggest fear from the jump. We got to play a season in the fall, lack of strength and conditioning. These guys could be a risk, bigger risk of soft tissue injury without strength and conditioning. And then uh, supporting the, you know, the overall, we weren't even worried about schemes, but just supporting our players overall. You know, at that point in time, too, there's, there had been a series of events nationally in regards to, uh, you know, some, some improper police practice that, that led to the, to the death of some African-American um, individuals that really heightened a lot of things um, socially um, within our team. You know, we have a very diverse football team and starting to have some conversations with all of our players, but 
obviously a lot of our African-American players about the impact of those things. And, and we dug in on that and really supporting some guys here locally that, that didn't have a place to go home. Um, I had several guys in this team, like, you know, when they went away to college, you know, mom and dad downside didn't have a bedroom for them or they, they did not feel that their environment um, was um, you know, very conducive uh, to go back home. And they felt like their off-campus apartment was going to be safer for them. So how do we support those guys, um, you know, with, with, with nutrition and food? Um, that was a concern too. Like I was, you know, how are we going to eat and how are we going to do some things? So, you know, we, that's what we shifted into. And again, the existing assistant coaches and our support staff with Damon and some, and some football alumni, I thought we did a phenomenal job with that. And I think that bears out with our retention of our student athletes because we were shorthanded as a staff during that, that, that period of time. We didn't have a, we didn't have a full, full complement of coaches. And so we had to dig in and do that. And so, um, you know, a lot of FaceTime calls, a lot, a lot of individual calls, a lot of things to make sure things are right. And I mean, um, our team absolutely killed it in the winter term academically. I mean, I'm really proud of our academic numbers and the way they, they came out and uh, really stayed on top of the stuff from a strength and conditioning standpoint. We're really attentive to that in, like I said, an environment where, you know, think about a football player not being able to go in and lift weights. Um, very, very difficult thing. And so, uh, you know, I, I give our kids a ton of credit. They were, they were soloed and compartmentalized, stuck together, and then the team zooms were really, really great. We, we, we use that opportunity to really bring in some guys, you know, for each position group, we had guys come and talk to them. You know, we had, um, you know, for, for our defensive line and, and guys, Matt Judon talking to those guys, you know, Kaiser talked to our tight ends. You guys had him on this podcast last time. You know, we had Matt Armstrong, um, who was a two sport athlete here at Grand Valley. Great. Come in and talk to our O-line crew and Brad, I talked to our quarterbacks and Bob Mitchell talked to our tight ends and, just just relying on a lot of alumni to connect with our players. And I thought that was hugely beneficial that they knew, hey, the football alumni, there's guys that have played here, the history tradition of Grand Valley football, that were staying connected with these guys too when we would do some of these Zoom meetings to, to, keep, to keep some of that unity and synergy and chemistry. Even in a regular season, you're so focused on one day at a time, right? Like you take things as they come, not trying to look, get too far in the future, not get too far ahead of yourselves. Was that harder without having game days and without having that kind of structure this year? Uh, no doubt, uh, Jake, it's no doubt. You know, it, it, and, but, you know, we have, I'm jumping forward, but we just got done with 13 practices. You know, I just took a look at our system this morning. You know, we were able to get in 715 reps of 11 on 11 contact football. Wow. Um, and I am you know, really excited about that and, and guys motivated and dedicated to go out without really competition until fall of, you know, 21. Um, I think that goes back to recruiting and, and, and getting the right types of people, but no doubt. I mean, you're sitting there in March. Uh, we thought there was still going to be a season. I think that that hope really started to fade late June, early July. And then obviously the announcement came and then it was a shift, you know, it was a completely shift. We're not going to be playing games. How can we start to build, for, you know, build, build this team for a championship in the fall of 21? Um, what, what are the things we have to do individually and collectively to get that done? And I think that's where that kind of internal comp competitor starts to show up. Um, if, if you're driven by being the best version of yourself and trying to be elite, um, you, you don't need that outside competition all the time to motivate you. you know, I, I think outside competition is a good measuring stick to see where you're at. Uh, but, but the really elite people, the, guy, you know, the guys that uh, reach highest, they have such a high standard for themselves they have to meet that they don't need competition all the time to fuel that endeavor. And, um, you know, so it, it, it was tougher for some guys uh, to know we're not playing. I think it was, it was really tough for our seniors. I could tell that, you know, you, 
you have this mindset and this plan of heading into fall 21. It's my senior year. It's my last go. Like this is it. And then that's gone. And you realize it is going to be a full calendar year to realize that again. Um, I don't think I can overstate how hard that is uh, for a senior. You know, an upperclassman doesn't have that short-term immediacy of the, how they view their career. But for seniors, that is really difficult when that gets uh, taken away. And now you have to start thinking about extending your educational timeline, your life timeline for the pursuit of that a full year. I, you know, I hope people on the listeners podcast appreciate the sacrifices that the student athletes at Grand Valley and across NCAA sports are making to try to come back and, and play their senior years. And, and some haven't, you know, but be transparent. We have three kids that moved on professionally and I understand why they wanted to do it. They forfeited the last year. Uh, but I think, you know, those student athletes deserve a lot of credit because uh, they're putting a lot of things on hold for competition. And I think a lot of it, it isn't just about them competing. I, I think it's about their teammates. I think it's about Grand Valley. I think it's about Grand Valley athletics. It's about Grand Valley football and being a part of that. And they don't want it to end end in a pandemic. You know, they, they want to try to have the opportunity to finish it the right way. That's a really, really good point. The Anchor Up podcast brought to you in part by NovaCare. Discover the power of physical therapy with the official physical therapy provider of GVSU Athletics, also by PNC Bank, the official bank of GVSU Athletics, PNC Bank, for the achiever in you, and by Earhart Construction, the official construction company of the Grand Valley Sports Network. We have head coach Matt Mitchell with us here for this full podcast, good enough to join us and talk about that fall that did not have games, but still had, as he said, 750 reps of 11 on 11. So let's go to the spot where you finally get your team back together in the fall. School is still in session, even though competition can't happen. That had to be at least a positive moment for you guys, and you were able to get your entire team back together. 100%. I mean, 100% because, again, we, we started bringing guys back in June and July, and then it, it got you know, uh, shut down, and so that was disjointed. We had another bump in the road, and uh, we're in a holding pattern and knew the season was going to happen. So we finally were able to get kind of everyone back. And, you know, the first two weeks of classes, we were really smart here from uh, the university athletics standpoint of not having any type of activity. But when we first got back out there, man, I could sense that, you know. And so for, you know, for me as the head coach, and again, uh, working in conjunction with uh, the athletic administration and also, you know, some university administration, the daily question is, um, how can, how, how can we do football activities, you know, whether it's meetings, um, lifting, you know, practice, individual skills, those things, uh, in a COVID-19 environment? How, how, can we, how can we keep these kids safe but still be able to do some activities? And that's a, that's a question that you ask every day, and I think that changes. I mean, things change. You guys know this. You're an athletic administrator. It changed. You know, the protocols and things change on a daily basis. But my whole goal was, you know, we're going to try to be really, really safe. Uh, with our players and our coaches, and especially the people they come in contact with, the at-risk populations back at home and things like that, how how can we how can we mitigate the the risk of spreading this virus in this football program while still doing something we're all really passionate about? Um, it would have been really easy to say, you know what, the virus wins and we're not doing anything. Uh, that would have been the path of least resistance. That would have been super easy. Uh, but I also feel like that would be in the coward way out. Okay, the coward way out. Um, but I didn't take the viewpoint like it's football and for whatever about COVID. I'm not going to dismiss that virus. No. Uh, so it, it was that constant daily balancing act. And I have to give our, our players so much credit because there was never really a practice where we walked. It wasn't a lifting session, a meeting, but obviously specifically a practice we walked out to where I said, you know what? We don't have enough guys. We can't do this. Did we have guys that got triggered into 
you know, support team because of things. Yes. Um, did we have guys that wake up in the morning and had symptoms and failed their self-assessment and got a COVID test and came back negative? Yeah, I missed some time until they got the COVID test. You bet. But we had uh, 10 weeks activity. And over the course of that 10 weeks, this football program probably tested, you know, I don't even know how many times it tested. We had two positives, coaches, you know, the whole thing over the span of 10 weeks. And so I'm really proud of that. And, and there was never a time where I walked out to practice and said, we're light at running back. We're light at D-line. We can't practice today. Um, and that's what allowed us to get in 13 practices, get all those reps in. And it was the, the things that happened. And again, I'll be transparent. Maybe some of that was, was good fortune. Maybe some of that was luck. Uh, but you also have to credit, you know, I think our, our, our players that they kept their bubbles pretty tight and they wanted to practice and they uh, did that. And again, straight up being real with you guys, Halloween. We practiced that morning, got Halloween night. I'm not an idiot. I've been coaching college football for a number of years, aware of what student activities occurred on Halloween. You know, come back that next Wednesday with practice and we got no positives after Halloween. Um, that kind of tells you something a little bit, I think, about some of the commitment majority of our roster made to try to be out there and practice. I think it also shows how much your team loves playing football and how much they value the opportunity to play, that they'd put basically everything else below that in order to make sure they were safe and healthy enough to play football. And so you guys had these awesome, I want to talk about the uh, equipment you guys had because yep. you had these face shields that you put inside everybody's mask, which kind of also was a different unique technology that I hadn't heard much about. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the governor's orders came out that for, you know, the, the high, high risk sports that um, unless you're like at the big 10 or the Mac where you're testing frequently, there had to be a face covering. And uh, you know, so basically started to call around Um you know, started to really talk to a lot of other institutions, um, you know, started with Chuck Martin down Miami, Ohio. They were using a face covering um, on, on their face mask. And we just really started to look at some different models and some different things. And again, um, budget was a factor. <laughs> we didn't have an, you know, an endless coffer of money to be able to do that. So um, ended up finding, finding the one here actually was local. Uh, there's a company called Addicts out of Lowell that was producing them. And uh, Eric Thompson, our equipment guy, did a great job of setting up that, getting those, and uh, put those on pretty quick. And um, again, like, uh, I'm always really transparent. You guys know me. I, I, how much did that really mitigate the risk of the thing uh, being contracted? I don't know how much, uh, but we were making sure that we were complying with the governor's orders, doing a good job. And again, like, from my standpoint, um, I always felt like the science showed this and, and that the, the risk of passing the virus since we were outside with practice was lower. Um, Jake, I was really concerned with locker room spaces, uh, meeting spaces, um, you know, some of the stuff inside. Like we didn't go in our weight room. We moved our weight room out to Lubber Stadium. And uh, we came up with a shift system for when you could go in the locker room and, and when you couldn't. And uh, we had to tier our practices and do a lot of things with our schedule. And we changed lockers around. You were, you were in different tiers. And so when, when one guy was in there, two lockers adjacent to him are empty. So we knew we had six, six feet of separation between the next guy. And you have different tiers and waves of guys coming in and out of the locker room and you combine that with on-field activities. And I think we spent a lot of time with our meeting rooms, uh, setting those up in a way that there was also a lot of uh, enough social distancing and mask wearing that a meeting wasn't everything that was going to be an issue too. So um, the face coverings were important, but you know, I think our design of how we, how we manage the indoor spaces was really critical for us too. That is really important, but I do have a important question for you. What muscle groups did you build the most carrying all those weights from the OD out to lovers? Well, when you have a hundred guys, uh, <laughs> it, it could be a little bit easier, you know, when you have that done. I think the, um, you know, I, I think our team did a great job. You know, I, I think by moving the, 
uh, we should, I probably should have taken some pictures cause that was pretty cool. We, we moved the, you know, the OD weight room, the whole thing, um, out to the deal. And then we had to, we had to tarp it every night uh, because of the moisture and stuff like that. So I think you understand, like you have a full weight room that you have to, at the end of the night, deconstruct and tarp up and then the next day reassemble. And our strength guys did a really good job with that. I think our kids really liked lifting outside. Uh, knock on wood, man, we had a run of some ungodly weather. And, uh, you know, we got super, super fortunate with weather. I think we only had to cancel one day because of rain. Um, and, uh, you know, other than that, we got really lucky. And I think our kids liked it. And I think our kids felt safer, to be honest with you, too. I could just sense that. You know, I think pack, packing guys in a confined space, they were, they were a little hesitant to that. I think we moved that thing outside. It, it developed, um, you know, some freedom to be able to move around and do some things that I think allowed them to attack stuff too. Well, considering five of your seven home games last year were played under monsoon downpours, I think you deserve a little good weather in the fall here in 2020, if nothing else. I'm going to have Tim here run you through some of the defensive players that stood out to you in uh, fall camp here right after a couple of these sponsors. The Anchor Up podcast brought to you in part by Homewood Suites, Grand Rapids. Enjoy all the comforts of home at the only extended stay hotel in downtown Grand Rapids. By Uccello's, where great food and sports come together. And by DTE Energy, know your own power. Tim, I know you were out there a lot, so I want you to prompt some of those questions to Coach Mitchell to start on the defensive line. Well, first, first, Coach, what were your like goals in terms of player personnel and 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 going through those guys in the in the fall? You know, before we get into those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know we had a couple of big goals for the program. I mean, obviously, we want to, um, you know, we want to we want to get get players to improve and in an evaluation. You know, we want to make sure we got an evaluation um, of every player in our program. Like, we we weren't establishing depth charts. We're a long ways from playing. We're not establishing depth charts. You know, we are trying to get players to be the best they can be. And, and um, you know, then the depth chart will be established for the, for the home opener against Edinburgh. We're trying to get everybody to be the best they can possibly be. And so really player development and as coaching staff evaluation and, and really looking at our roster and, like, just a very honest deal, like, can this roster win us a championship? And, uh, you know, where do we need to get guys to develop and improve? Um, where do we have to look to maybe, Hey, just being real with you, pick up some pieces, maybe in transfer world to try to get it to be an elite level. And then I think the other big thing, that's one is just our roster, the development of our roster. And then two is how valuable it was with four new coaches on offense to be able to practice. Um, super concerned, like, you know, really worried about that. Uh, when the season was still on, um, I was really concerned. You got four new coaches that have only really, I mean, I had, Three of my four coaches before they met some players in July had hadn't even met the players. Um, it had been all via Zoom, had not had a face-to-face meeting with any of their players. And we're talking about the first time you're going to meet some of these guys is in July, and we got to line up in September. Uh, yeah, a little, little scary. Um, so not, not saying I didn't want to play in the fall of 2020, but when it ended up happening, I'm like, okay, this could be an advantage uh, given our situation that now the offensive coaches, because we don't have fall camp in August, those guys hold up in conference rooms for hours on end, days on end, getting on the same page about schemes, techniques, um, verbiage, terminology, how stuff's being coached. And then you have the opportunity to interact with players outside of practice for five weeks with the new coaching staff, super valuable in terms of building relationships. And then you go out. You know, We had 715 live, 11-11 reps. And uh, when you take into account seven-on-seven and one-on-ones, um, you know, we, we charted the, – there was over 800 balls thrown. Um, you cannot replicate that. That's the thing about football. And Jake, you mentioned it. Like what was so you know interesting is that this isn't basketball. This isn't golf. And, and I love those sports, but you you have to do this in helmets and shoulder pads. You know, and uh, we had not 
played football or had contact football since November of 2019. We needed these practices badly in October. I mean, it had been a full year since we hit anyone. So that synergy between coaches and players offensively and new scheme. I mean, we have changed everything from uh, you know formations and, and formation tags and motions and and uh, run plays, pass plays. Like the whole thing is completely gutted down. It's all new. A lot of teaching involved in that, and and getting evaluation of those guys of you know what the players can do and then what are the schemes we like, how are we coaching them. And you got to keep in mind that all that time we're you know we're going against a in my opinion, a really good defense. Like we've been really good on defense and we were really good on defense last year. Statistically, we're really good. We're disappointed with our record last year. It's, it's not acceptable. We were really good on defense and we had a lot of defensive players back and all three of our defensive coaches are back and our offense is having to try to go against that every day. I think that was really good. You know, I think that iron sharpens iron. We had some, you know, Tim was out there. I mean, we had some, we had some really good matchups going on and some high level of competition. And uh, that's what championship programs do. You don't get slighted on one side of the ball. Um, you, you, you know, you, you have that, that one-on-one competition and, and, you know, we were able to do that. So that's why it was so valuable. I'm so excited. We got those 13 practices in every day was a new day. You wake up, cross your fingers, holding your breath. It came to an end with the governor's orders, but I'm not complaining because man, we got in 13 and we got in all those reps and it was so valuable for our program. And now as coaches, we're making cutups and we're going back and watching those things. and We're self-evaluating those things. Had we not practiced, you know, I don't know we would have to probably wait till spring for that right. to happen. Well, let's get into that defense. Um, uh, you know, I was out there all spring, all, all fall rather, and uh, I thought the defensive line was was phenomenal. We'll, we'll get into defense events. Jake Lava and Xavier Washington did not practice due to you're trying to keep people on the academic schedule schedule uh, for financial reasons and scholarship reasons. So Jake and Xavier did not practice. Uh, you have those guys returning: uh, Christian McCarroll, Ronnie Buford, and Colton Heibel on the defensive ends. Talk about the that position. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel feel we're in a good position. As you mentioned, you got a couple guys that, uh, you know, Xavier Washington's season got cut short, but he'll be back. He's down in Texas right now. And then, you know, Jake Lava's around here all the time. He's put on weight. He's looking great. Um, he's doing a lot of stuff for strength conditioning, but he had to sit out the semester. Again, I, we mentioned this earlier in the podcast, sacrifices, you know, sacrifices to come back. And so they're taking the semester off. But, uh, yeah, no, you know, up front, Chris McCarroll played a little bit as a retro freshman last year. I had a scoop and score touchdown against Davenport. Um, is just, you know, put on more weight, um, looking really good, really, uh, really, really good against the run and continue to improve as a pass rusher. Um, Laker fans don't know about Ronnie Buford very much. He's a transfer from Western Michigan, but he had a really solid <clears throat> uh, resume of practices. And Colton Heibel played a little bit as a redshirt freshman. He's back. So have those guys. And, you know, I think another point worth making here, uh, Jake and Tim, is that this is a really unique fall for us, too, in a good way a lot of your true freshmen normally don't get this volume of repetitions uh, because they're down on scout team. And uh, so, you know, I don't want to get the cart too much in front of the horse, but, you know, a kid like Luke Stanton from Brighton, Michigan, who we signed um, last February, came in here and got a ton of reps and kind of coaching that typically probably don't happen. And, uh, you know, he made a lot of strides, yeah. a lot of progress along this too. And so, you know, uh, you know, got, got, got some guys there we feel good about, some depth uh, that we'll continue to try to work on. Defensive, uh, the interior defensive line, Dennis Johnson, Walsh Hall did not practice, uh, but Zach McDowell, Nate Umler, transfer from Minnesota, Allendale native, Seth Hoonhorst, uh, John Anthony Lowry, and then some newcomers. Jack Gilchrist I thought was phenomenal as a true freshman. Uh, uh, Dwan Parkman and uh, Javier Suggs. Talk about the, that interior D-line. Yeah, you know, I, that same thing. DJ was a first-team all-Gliac performer last year, and uh, he's been around the building, and we see him, you know, doing some strength and conditioning stuff, so – um, you know, he's, he's kind of the bell cow in there and, uh, 
Walsh Hall will be back with us. Uh, he played for some. He'll be back here in January along with DJ. Uh, some returning experience. But, yeah, you, you hit a lot of those guys on the head. You know, I think the new names that you mentioned there, you know, Nate Umler um, um, transferred to University of Minnesota playing chair defensive line. That's a good practice. Really, same thing, haven't played a whole lot of defensive football because they had him on the line a little bit over there in Minnesota. So he's getting back in the flow. Again, missed all spring. Hadn't played a lot of balls, so good for him to be back in there. And then, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, a couple of freshmen, Jack Gilchrist from Mason, Michigan, and Elias Valdez uh, from Providence Catholic in Chicago. You know, came in there along with Suggs and, you know, a lot of those guys you mentioned. It's, uh, it's deep, you know, it's, it's deep. And we feel like, you know, we got the guys down there that are, can play the techniques we want them to play. And uh, we're going to keep on improving to them. But it allows us probably, um, you know, the ability to rotate a little bit. I think that you need that at the defensive line position. I think it's really, really physical and difficult to uh, have the same four guys out there the entirety of the season. Coach, I think it's interesting. Tim has been, you know, just through two positions, I've noticed that, you know, basically he, he keeps mentioning the guys that Laker fans probably know the best didn't practice. So all those second tiers, the next level guys have gotten all these reps. What is that? What do you think that will do in terms of depth for the team as a whole going forward? It should be, you know, really beneficial. Um, and, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, younger guys get some opportunities they haven't previously had, you know, in a non-pandemic year. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's, the depth there is really impressive. And again, I have to, you know, Coach Bibbs does a great job with their defensive line, but also mention the fact that like the retention piece, um, you know, you, you, we talk about all these names, I mean, doing well academically and these guys hung in there with us um, through a lot of adversity that occurred from November till now. And uh, that's why, you know, their characters on display all the time and give them a lot of credit. So yeah, it should, it should pay a lot of dividends. And I, I think that, you know, we, you have to have depth to that position, like I talked about. And then like, we're always stressing, um, quit looking at the depth chart. Like, I think that's the biggest thing that came out of this fall and probably in the spring, like stop worrying about the depth chart. And 18 to 22 old males are concerned with depth charts all the time. Quit worrying about it, okay? We're not playing a game. Be as, as good as you can be. And I think that with that mindset, it allowed a lot of those guys to develop because Jake, to your point, they didn't feel like they were stuck behind DJ or stuck behind somebody else, um, that they had opportunities to get better. And, uh, and uh, so I, I think that's an important point in this kind of pandemic thing without game, games. You can use that to uh, your advantage if you have the right mindset. You can definitely use it to your advantage. Heading into the linebackers, Tyler Bradfield had a great offseason, even though, he got, again, no practice. He's a finalist for the Campbell Award. Uh, he's on the AFCA All Good Works team. Uh, he'll be back. He didn't practice. But linebacker, you got to be just really pleased with that. You got Bradfield, Brennan Brown, Ape Swanson all returning. Yeah, you got uh, Abe Swanson, played a lot as a redshirt freshman last year, kind of probably taken over for Isaiah Conce if you did have to do a depth chart. <laughs> but, uh, but you have two all-league performers at the two outside backers, you know, with Tyler Bradfield and Brennan Brown. Brennan Brown, uh, great session. I mean, you would, uh, his approach was not the approach of, well, his first-team all-conference, I'm going to come out here and chill and uh, not get hurt. Uh, did not have that approach at all. Was trying to improve his craft and work on the things like blitzing and some things he had to get better at. So, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for that group moving forward um, is the depth. Um, you know, you feel like you have the three guys that have played some football at Grand Valley and we have some all league players there. Uh, continue to build that depth behind the guys. You know, we had some guys that made some strides uh, throughout the course of it. Um, not, not there yet in regards to us looking at championship level performance. So we that that's a position we have to continue to motivate those guys to continue to get better. And that's why, again, this whole thing, like all those guys don't look at it, like be the best version. And that's, that's a, that's a position like you guys know in football, you pull a lot from your special teams from that pool of players. 
And, uh, you know, that's a rotational position too. And so that's when best defenses are best. You do have some depth. Abe Swanson got in a play last year as a redshirt freshman, even though Isaiah Nkansa was a first team all GLIAC linebacker um, because you're in the right to do it. And it was important. And so we, we need to get that done at Grand Valley to be as, as good as we can be on defense. I thought, I thought JT Webb really stepped up and was a leader in the, in the secondary this, this fall. Uh, Jaden Rogers did a great job. Um, young, young back there, a little inexperienced. Who, who really stepped to the forefront besides those two? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, when you take a look at the corner position, we're, 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 we, we've, we, we're better at safety today than we are at corner. Uh, we understand that. We need to continue to work. Uh, you know, I thought, you know, like I said, JT Webb, uh, who's, who's played some last year, was kind of behind three senior cornerbacks. It's kind of his time. And I think he had a good approach. And uh, really, this last practice practiced extremely well. And, you know, you got Jaden Rogers and you got Saunders Carters and Cole Petrito. Some guys have been in the program. We also signed a really good freshman class, um, you know, and, and when one of those guys that took advantage of the situation out of Mentor High School in Ohio was Nizir Fort Queen. I thought Nizir had a really strong resume, um, you know, that, again, that would be a guy that I don't know we would typically know as much about right now had he, this not occurred. So that's position we, you know, we had – we have a, a transfer, Tory Lewis, that uh, – was with us and took the semester off from Southern Illinois that started Southern Illinois and you know that the, some things so that's that's continues to be a position that we are looking to develop both of the guys that are in the building and uh, we've got to continue to be better at that and and that's um uh, there's one position there's gonna be a little bit drop off in experience and we had you know three guys that played last year and, and a couple of them were all conference players at that position. I thought Antonio Strong really looked uh, good this fall as well leading that that uh, safety position. Yeah, you know, Laker fans know about Antonio Strong. Huge interception against Delta State. Um, really made some plays for us and was a Gliac performer as a sophomore. Um, you know, and he's, he's elevated his game to take on a leadership role and lead back there. Uh, we've got some really, uh, you know, we, we've got some safeties uh, that we feel good about. Um, Romel Johnson has been in our program, and I thought he had a really solid deal. Uh, Eric, Eric Plate, and then a couple guys that redshirted last year, and Demonte McCurdy and Ian Canelli. Uh, really, really played well. You know, had, had some good things, and Anthony Hum transferred in here. So, you know, that I, I'm sitting here today, when you take a look at things, you know, I, I think we got a lot of great, valuable reps at the safety position um, and, and do have the guys there from a talent perspective. We need to continue to develop at that, at that spot. Coach, when you're evaluating your defense this year, when you're doing 11-on-11, 11 11, obviously your offense is trying to work on the same stuff that you want to instill in your offense next year. So how did you keep things kind of fresh or off balance for a defense that maybe after seeing it the first five, six practices, they started picking up some cues and didn't have it so easy for them to maybe like jump some routes or figure some things out like that mentally? Yeah, great question. You know, early on in, 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 in our spring ball segment and fall ball, whatever you want to call it, we – uh, you know, we did a lot more like what you call base down to distance, kind of first down, second down stuff in the middle of the field, um, you know, and so we had that juice and energy. And then, you know, I think it's important that the last half we got into more situational football. You know, we got into some third down stuff. Um, you know, our defense is different on third down and what the offense does different on third down. We did some red zone stuff, Jake. Um, you know, things change from a play calling perspective. Once you get inside the 25, space is not there. Defense has changed it up, some red zone and goal line things. Uh, worked on that, you know, and then, you know, we, we, we did more uh, put the ball down and go live football than we probably have a Grand Valley because my chair, um, you know, if there was an injury, we've got time for that to come back. And so we play a little bit more live football. And then, you know, I still try to uh, instill some competition in this thing. You know, last in the offseason, we had competition Thursdays with uh, tire pulls and rope pulls and just trying to breed competitiveness. We did the same thing here on Thursdays. I'd pick a drill. 
and there was a, you know, one side of the ball won and one side of the ball lost. And I bought pizza for the crew that won. Um, so gear and food, man, it always motivates them. So find, find opportunities to do that. Um, at the end of the deal, I, you know, one of our biggest quotes here in Grand Valley football is, uh, the number one ability is availability. I gave a pair of Adidas shoes to every kid that didn't miss anything, found a way not to get, uh, contact traced or not hurt. And, uh, you know, kind of took care of them that way too. And so, you know, little things like that, I think, uh, when you don't have competition in regards to playing a fair state or a Pueblo or an Edinburgh, I think you have to be creative with some of those little competitive things, Jake, um, to try to continue to, you know, just bring a little juice to the thing. Yeah. I mean, um, it's not the anchor bone trophy, but a, a pizza pie is nice. Yeah. Good pizza. You know, we got some, <laughs> had some pepinos and we would give them a pie and they knew it, you know, they had to come out and perform. And if you didn't, then you walked out the building without a pizza. And if you did, you did. We're going to flip over to the offensive side of the ball in just a moment. But first, let's do our team of the week. It's presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Here for you now, more than ever, confidence comes with every card. And this week's team of the week, of course, is going to be a football team. And it's the team that Coach Mitchell brought to the NCAA semifinals in 2016. The Lakers won 12 straight games to start that season, a perfect 10 and Ogliak record for a conference championship going on to face Shepard in the NCAA semifinals. Coach, if you could, just tell us about your recollections of that season, what that season means to you. Uh, that, was a, that was an awesome season, except for the last game. Um, so, I mean, when you take a look at the, the, the entirety of the season, like, you know, we, we had some, you know, new faces and some things that were kind of happening. And uh, we, 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 lost, we lost a regular season matchup uh, to uh, First State, you know, and the Ashland thing. And then we had the chance, probably remember that, is that we continued to improve throughout the course of the season. We had a chance against First State at First State, Ashland at Ashland. Uh, to get to get those guys on the road, you know, obviously remember a lot Matt Judon's impact uh, both on and off the field in that particular season. Uh, Colin Slosher, Garrett Pounier, um, you know, those guys were really impactful defensive players in that particular team. Uh, Martavius Carter, the leading rusher in the history of Grand Valley football, had an impact on that year too. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, I think that that year to me, let's be honest with you, is bittersweet. You know. Uh, we we go to a final four and we go out to Shepherd and I I don't think we played as well as we could at Shepherd University and that's probably a loss um, that's going to be really hard for me to get over with because I had a lot of great kids on that team and I badly wanted to get those guys to the national championship but we turned into Road Warriors that year in the playoffs and uh, avenged a lot of early season defeats and that felt good um, it felt good to go up and beat Ferris at first and uh, yeah, that was uh, a really, really good football game. Two great, great players on that field with Jason Vanderlaan, the Harlan Hill Trophy winner in his senior season, and Matt Judon. And uh, those guys are really elite football players in Division II annals in history. Those guys are going head-to-head -head on that, that field up at Top Taggart. That, that's another one I won't forget is that football game was a very intense, emotional football game. Was that the game with the Urson Smith diving catch in the end zone? Yep, that was the Urson Smith Sports Center diving catch. And, um, you know, came up with some, some fourth down stops and just you know, really did some things and made some plays in the passing game, you know, which you got to do. And felt really good, too, for Bart Williams, you know. Uh, Bart Williams, um, and I think unfairly at times, uh, caught a little heat. But, man, he walked out of here as the all-time leading touchdown pass and set a lot of records and won a lot of football games out of here. And for him to kind of be able to do that that year, I thought was uh, really cool for him. He, you know, he started off his freshman year through 20 picks. Um, he had a bad – Rough go. And we won some games, won a lot of games, but he threw 20 interceptions. So he didn't come back that junior year and kind of lead us there. And then, you know, I, I think the culture of the program of that particular team, because we didn't fare well in the regular season against Ferris, but to come back and not, not, not really flinch um, as a program and as a culture to keep building, I think says something about that team and the leaders we had on that team.
That resilient team is our Blue Cross Blue Shield team of the week, brought to you by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Here for you now, more than ever, confidence comes with every card. You just talked about Bart Williams being the all-time leader in basically every passing category that Grand Valley State has. So let's talk about the GBSU offense going into 2021. Tim, let's look at some of those positions. Well, Coach, starting with the uh, offensive line, uh, new offensive line coach Scott Wooster, and I really thought through the course of the fall, that offensive line really gelled with uh, Coach Wooster. And, and now you're bringing back Garrett Carroll, Quentin Burrow, two all-league players, along with Ethan Culberson in the middle. Um, so you really got to feel good about the interior experience there and with some guys stepping up in the fall. Yeah, you know, I, I think when we signed that class of, of guys, we talk about Quentin Barrow and Garrett Carroll, thought they had a chance to be good. You know, they went out there last year as redshirt freshmen and, and played well. But, man, it's been fun to see their development, um, both physically and also with Coach Wooster. You know, when the O-line position came available here at Grand Valley State, he was, one of the, he was the first guy we called. Um, 11 years at, at Wayne State. Um, always been impressed with the product he put on tape. I knew him casually through recruiting, bumping into him. Um, but, you know, was always impressed with how hard and how physical that offensive line played. So I, I think, uh, you know, he hit the ground running. Um, it's an experienced coach, uh, knows our league and knew some of our players from watching them on tape. And so was able to really connect with those guys immediately and develop them into a unit. And I, you know, um, Ethan is out. He's taken kind of that gap semester I talked about and he'll be back. Um, so it allowed us to get some other guys, some reps, you know, and a, you know, a couple guys that I thought really had a great fall session was, Jake Kohani from Cadillac, uh, who played a little bit last year, but, man, he really developed in the span of a year. And then Jordan Davis um, from the east side of the state, Michigan Collegiate, I thought really came on to a tackle. So, you know, we're, we're still going through that process. Joel Linden, uh, you know, did a really good job at guard. And, uh, you know, we got some guys that continue to develop that. But, man, it was, um, you know, Jim Lewis uh, was in here this morning, and he was kind of uh, doing some cut-ups of the thing. And we both commented, you know, it was, it was very physical. Uh, these practices in this fall. Our line I mean, we've got some physical dudes going against some physical D-line dudes. And when you talk about iron sharpens iron, we really felt like that occurred with that O-line tight end position against our D-line. Tight end, Grant Dempster uh, was another one who, did, who didn't practice this fall. Uh, but Jake Slager really, really uh, stepped up along with Gavin Kosu and uh, Scott Cooper. Yeah, you know, uh, Slager was, uh, you know, my mind, an all-conference type kid. I don't know if he was or not, but maybe should have been. But, uh, you know, from Zeeland West and uh, – just can really set edges in the run game, you know, and, and as you mentioned, some Scott Cooper played a lot last year. And I think initially found his niche as a passing tight end is working on his run game. And then, yeah, the freshman, uh, we had a couple injuries with some of the guys, but you know, one guy that was there and consistent was Gavin Kosu from Greenville. And I think that's a, that's a name that Laker fans are going to find out about. Um, and so you get Dempster back in that mix. You know, we, we want to run the ball and be physical. You know, we're, you know, 15, 16 miles from Lake Michigan. Um, you, if you're going to, you're going to play a playoff game, games in November, December, it's, it's, it's not going to be nice out. And uh, you have got to control the line of scrimmage. And uh, Coach Vitsum, Coach Wooster, and I are all completely aligned in that. Um, you got to be physical up front. We're not covering guys up. We're not running air raid. Um, you you got you to run the ball and be physical. you got to win the line of scrimmage. And I think with uh, the tight ends are a big part of that. And we've had a great history of tight ends at Grand Valley State. You guys had on Kaiser in the last podcast. Um, we've had a great tradition. I think we got some guys here that with some continued development can put themselves in a position to really help our offense. 
Coach, before we move on, I just want to go back to the tight ends here for Kaiser. Since we talked to him last week, I want to get your perspective. We really haven't talked to you about Nick Kaiser, at least publicly, about how cool it's been for you. You know, obviously, his entire story of you know not really getting too many opportunities early in his career at Grand Valley, then improving, have that outstanding senior season, goes on to the practice squad with the Ravens and on and on. How cool has it been for you to see him on NFL fields on Sundays? No, it's been awesome. You know, I... I think it's really cool that, you know, you can see, you know, when they run 12 personnel, like it's, it's Kelsey and then it's Kaiser. Like they, you know, the two tight end said he's, he's the 12 personnel tight end, you know? And so, um, you know, it's, it's been really fun to watch and, and I just know how competitive uh, the NFL is and, you know, and, and just where he's came from when we recruited him out of Portage Northern till now, I mean, he deserves a ton of credit for that continued development throughout the course of it. And uh, what, what, better place to end up at than the Chiefs. I mean, you got all those, you know, you got Mahomes and those receivers and all that stuff. And just like Kai, you just don't screw it up. Just block your guy and, uh, you know, try not to fumble um, when you catch the ball once in a while. So, yeah, and then, yeah, I think it's really kind of interesting for me too. You know, uh, I'm a special teams guy. I see him running down on kickoff, and uh, I don't know that I would have imagined that uh, Nick Kaiser's freshman year at Grand Valley, <laughs> running down on an NFL game on kickoff, but he's going down there. I see him on kickoff return, and when you're in that position, guys, you have to do that stuff, man. If you can make that 53-man roster, you have got to be competent in special teams, and I see Kaiser out there doing some good things in the special teams too. And uh, so I'm, you know, uh, I'm sure the Chiefs love him because – he is a, he's what we call in the professional low maintenance dude. Um, really intelligent, knows the playbook, is really socially smart, um, really handles his things. The guy shows up and you don't have to worry about him. That's how he was at Grand Valley. And uh, coaches love coaching low maintenance dudes. Is that something you could use as maybe a peg to some of your younger guys of how special teams can help you really make a difference on a team and give you those opportunities? A hundred percent. You know, I think that Unless you're playing quarterback, O-line, or D-line, if you're in any of those other positions, you know, the linebacker, the secondary, the receivers, the running backs, and you're coming from D2, man, you, the first guy, I always tell them this, first guy when you walk in that building, you go introduce yourself to special teams coordinator. That is, that is the, first, the first dude you go up and say, you say, whatever you need, I'm on it. Special teams coordinators at the NFL level um, are kind of like the bastard children of the coaching staff. They're not on an offensive, you know, a unit or defensive unit. They're independent operators in their office. Um, they're their own deal, you know. And so they're always looking for guys that want to be special teams guys, you know. And that's the thing about the NFL. Besides the specialists, when they draft somebody or sign somebody, you know, they don't draft them as, you know, the third guy on kickoff. Uh, right. They draft them as a linebacker. They draft them as a that's, – that's what they do. That's putting in. So the special teams guys got to take a roster of guys that were signed at other positions and put together some championship-level special teams. He wants guys in that building that want to be on special teams. So, you know, I, I tell those guys, when you get in those buildings, go find that dude. Knock on his door, introduce yourself, and say you're willing to do whatever it takes to be a part of his units. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that helps or anything, but why not? You know, why not make that introduction? Can't hurt. Speaking of receivers, uh, let, let's turn our attention to that position group. Uh, new coach Roy Roundtree takes over. Uh, he has the services of Cordell Hoover, Jacob Miller, David Anderson returning. But he also adds uh, newcomers Nate Johnson, Hunter Risen, and Dwan Johnson to the mix, along with, I thought, really Cody Tierney really had a great fall. Yeah, so uh, Coach Tree's done a great job. You know, he's got the credibility having uh, been a uh, multi-year All-Big Ten performer in Michigan and playing professionally and has coached a lot of spots. So, 
bring a lot to the table from a technical standpoint for our receivers, you know, and uh, developing those relationships. And so, yeah, it's, it's uh, again, being blunt and transparent. It's a position that, you know, last year was not at a championship levels position. I thought Austin Parity had a great senior year. I give Austin an incredible amount of credit. But we, we weren't at a championship level across the board at that position. And one of the major, major things the head coach and the offensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator, receiver coach is we got to get better at wideout. Um, so, you know, that's a combination of things. I think that's the development of the people that you have had. And you mentioned some of those names. Uh, Cody Tierney, uh, it, you know, as a freshman, Jamal Fomby would be another name I mentioned come and come on. And then, you know, we did just, we looked for opportunities to, uh, to have some transfers in that deal. And so, uh, you know, Nate Johnson from University of Michigan and Hunter Risen, who started at Michigan State and was at Kansas State, uh, have come in here and uh, are practicing really well too. So there's still work to be done at that position. Um, but I, I think the combination of the coaching and the talent and the things that are happening, um, really confident to say on here that we're going to be better in 21 than we were in 19. And, and we need to be, uh, we need to be better at that position. And so um, it's a, it, it was a big focus of this program from the end of last season. And it still is a focus of this program. Um, you guys know when it, when college football games, um, you have to control the line of scrimmage, but you also have to be explosive in the passing game. Um, the days in college football winning games, 13 to 10 are, are gone. Um, you have to be able to uh, control line scrimmage, run the ball, and be explosive in the passing game to score points. And we look back to history and tradition in Grand Valley State offensively, and I was part of some of those. I mean, we had some, some units, uh, the, one of the teams you mentioned there, you know, in 16, I think we averaged like 39 points per game. We're top 10 in the nation. We had the Brandon Beans. You know, we had the Nick Dodsons. We've had the Matt Williams. We've had the Jamie Potts. You know, Laker fans know about David Kirkus and Eric Fowler, and I could go through it. Um, we've had a tradition of being able to uh, stretch the field and be exposed for the pass game. And so big emphasis uh, for us all. And I don't want to disrespect the run game, uh, but it's something that has to happen to, in order to uh, be in contention for championship. Going to the run game, uh, Bryce Young-Walls, again, was another a guy who did not practice in the fall. Uh, Aaron Kane, VZ, Jack Preventure, Tariq Reed, Jonte Crawford, all got the reps during the fall to get, to, to get into the uh, running back conversation. Yeah, uh, the, the highlight for me is Tariq Reed. Uh, can't say enough. I've told him publicly or privately and publicly that he absolutely attacked this uh, offseason. Um, spent a lot of time on strength and conditioning. You know, if, uh, last year he rushed for 283 yards against Saginaw Valley State, and uh, that was kind of the breakout game for him as a freshman. And I think, uh, you know, he fed off of that, the confidence of that. Um, had some injuries later in the year. We didn't have his services late in the season against, uh, you know, Fair State and Wayne State. But I think he's uh, really spent a lot of time on his body and has continued to prove that way and had a, had a spectacular uh, fall. And, again, like Jack Preventure, I thought, was another one that had a great, great fall. Um, you know, he had a really big 2018 for us. And then 2019 slid a little bit and was, you know, I thought was back passionate doing the things. And so Jonte Crawford played last year, Aaron Kane VC. You know, we had some injuries at running back, and so, you know, that was not ideal in 2019. But if you want to go glass half full and be an optimist, a lot of guys got some experience. And uh, I think you're seeing some of the benefits of some of that experience when we see these guys out here. And uh, they're learning all new stuff. New running back coach uh, with Ryan Olson has come in, and that's been really good. You know, uh, he's uh, got an offensive background uh, between Minnesota State Mankato and Eastern Michigan and being the OC at Quincy. He's got a big-picture view. And so I think, I think they're different. Um, they're a little bit different in what they bring to the table. And I think that's the responsibility of the coaching staff to try to work through that and figure out the things that they'd be good at to help our offense be the best they can be. Coach, you mentioned not winning games 13 to 10 anymore, have to be explosive in the passing game. How have you guys utilized those running backs with your receiving group 
And how have you kind of tried to merge those pieces together to kind of create that from your running back position as well? Oh, yeah, it's certainly something we've looked at. Um, and I get like, you know, some of the guys are a little bit better at that stuff out of the backfield than some aren't. Um, but, you know, we, we, we have some schemes that we put in to be able to highlight the players that are good at catching the ball of the backfield. And uh, you know, we also have to have guys, too, that can protect. I mean, um, you know, five you can't, you can't just have a playbook with just five-man protections. Uh, you have to have six-man protections in order to win football games. And so is that six-man a back? Is that six-man a tight end? It depends, but <clears throat> when people bring pressure, you have to have answers, okay? You can't just throw your hands up in the air. And so uh, part of the job of running backs, too, in explosive offenses is, is the protection piece. And so how do we incorporate them in six- and seven-man protections and know what they're doing? And, uh, you know, I think that's important that working in conjunction with that offensive line. And, um, you know, I think one benefit, I feel really good about our tackles. I don't think we're going to need chip protections where the back's got a chip on an end. Uh, but when you start bringing guys and you just can't live in five man pros. And so we're, we, we have to have guys that could be able to do a lot. We're a lot of different hats. I think you think running back, carry the ball. Now, if there's protection, there's out of the backfield, there's special teams, those guys got to wear some different hats. And that's, uh, that's what's unique about our running back room right now. We have some diversity in regards to their talents and the things they're good at that we can kind of mix and match those things, um, to, to get them in the spots where they can have the most success. And the individuals that are going to be protecting uh, you that quarterback room. Cole Katopka, senior, along with sophomores Kate Peterson and Kale Endicott, had a nice fall. Yeah, I mean we have uh, you know very transparent about that. We we are we're you know there are there are no this isn't anybody. This is you know Tyler Bradfield, Abe Swanson, Dennis Johnson. We mentioned on his podcast, but you know I kept this thing too. Like 2019 is done. Done. I mean it's in the it's in the sports information records okay it's out we're on to 21 okay you got to earn the right to play in 21 so the quarterback position is the same way um cole did a nice job of coming back here when you know he was due to take a semester off and kind of wanted to be around a new offense i give him a lot of credit for trying to put in that time to be able to do that and then you know laker fans saw Keith peterson in his role obviously expecting more than we did saw out of him in 2019 as a redshirt freshman and then cal endicott which you know, the, the, the fans haven't seen, but he's right in the thick of the thing too. And so, uh, you know, we are, we're a long ways from our opener and, uh, we feel like we've got a good group and we're trying to see who's who, what quarterback gives this team the best chance to win a championship. And I think once we identify that you build some things around offensively around that guy, because those, those three guys are a little bit different too, um, in regards to things that they are lead at and the things that they have to work on. So it's it's we're we're not game planning for Edinburgh right now. You know we're trying to find um, go through the process of getting these guys better and find out what's the thing that gives this team the best chance to win. And uh, you know we're still going through that. But that's not just the quarterback position. That's a lot of positions too. You know we're working on a lot of those things. A lot of positions. To round things out, Josh Gorball as uh, a place kicker, and you also incorporated Kate Peterson in, into the punting duties that this fall. Yeah, Josh, uh, redshirt freshman, I thought he did a great job on kickoffs. And uh, besides maybe one missed field goal up at top tagger, had an awesome year as the uh, X-point X point field goal kicker. Uh, so came back and just gotten bigger and stronger and, uh, you know, doing well there. Got some competition at short snapper, long snapper uh, that we're working through. And then the funny thing is, uh, it, you know, that's interesting. I think Cade Peterson, you know, if you followed us last year, I used Cade up at Ferris and did some things. And so that's kind of fun. That could be really fun uh, to have him as a quarterback. Uh, you, you could do some stuff on your punt team. So, 
I'm going to have to weigh, you know, the risk of potential injury versus him doing that and also take a look at some other guys who are competing at that position. Um, really, you know, again, to be transparent, most of this fall was really try to uh, focus on offense and defense. You know, we, we had limited time on the field because I got guys coming in a locker. Okay. It was kind of this massive show game with dudes coming and going. And so I didn't spend a lot of time on special teams because I want to respect the new offensive coaches. They needed their time on the practice field. And uh, we didn't do a lot of those schemes, but I have confidence that we can get that cranked up when we start practice back here in the spring and obviously through the summer and fall camp. And so uh, it's good to have Josh in the building, but we're going to continue to look to, you know, build competition in a lot of those specialist positions. This has been awesome going through each and every position, Coach. And again, I think, I don't know if we said it, but congratulations on getting all those practices in and doing all those things you had to do to and lead that room to make sure that everybody was safe. Everybody followed those protocols. Before we do get out of here, though, we do have to give our great moment in Laker history. It's brought to you by the Randy Catterberg Agency. And, Tim, you're going with the Thanksgiving theme this week for the Randy Catterberg Moment of the Week. Yeah, uh, Thanksgiving football has always been a tr tradition here at Grand Valley State, obviously, over the years. And we're going to take a look at two um, Thanksgiving games. Uh, Coach Mitchell was involved in one of them. The first one, 2003, Scott Mackey returned the interception 50, 52 yards for a touchdown and a 10-3 victory over then number one ranked Saginaw Valley, uh, Lakers went on to win the national championship in 2003, Cullen Finnerty as a redshirt freshman quarterback. And an outstanding defensive battle that was. Uh, Lucius Hawkins with three-and-a-half quarterback sacks on, on Nick Postman's good buddy, uh, Mark Redlinski. Um, and so that was a big win. And then in 2005, uh, the 24-17 victory for Grand Valley State against Saginaw Valley on Thanksgiving weekend. Coach Mitchell, you were involved in that. Saginaw led 14-7 at the half. Terry Mitchell caught a first-half touchdown pass. Uh, from Finnerty, Jeremy Co Cochran in the second half caught a 16-yard TD pass. Ryan, I was on fourth, yeah, I was on fourth and one. I think Chuck called yes, that. Play. Was. Fourth and yes. one, I'll pass the tie for touchdown. I was a talk about that game. game. You were involved in it. I mean, second out, 267 yards to total offense. That was an outstanding game, obviously. Yeah, it was a great game. I can remember that it was kind of one of those, you know, November Saturdays where the sun was out. It had that chill and that edge on it, but the sun was out, and it was. Uh, it was back and forth. You know, you get these heated GLIAC rivalries that extend into the postseason play. And, uh, um, you know, when you first said that game, first thing I remember is, is that. And I, uh, when you're on the defensive headset, you know, at that time, you, you don't know what they're calling on offense. <laughs> I'm like, holy, holy shit. He just, he just, got, I mean, he just called the pop pass on fourth to one. That's big time. Like, I think <laughs> serious, you know, commitment and belief there on fourth and one to do that. And he scored a touchdown. And I think that really ignited us. Um, and that comeback win. That was a pretty cool day. Scott Green, 33-yard field goal, and uh, Laker defense uh, picked off a, a couple passes of uh, Josh Doherty. And, um, and so, obviously, that game led to a national championship appearance. The following week, uh, they dominated East Stroudsburg. I remember that game. Anthony Adams kind of used uh, uh, the quarterback, Jimmy Terwilliger, as a, as a rag doll in that game. And uh, Lakers advanced the national championship game. So, that's our, our – our moment in Laker history brought to us by the Randy Catterberg agency, a couple of Saginaw Valley battles of the valleys to remember for sure. And speaking of Thanksgiving coach, we're recording this a little bit early. What are your Thanksgiving plans? Oh, you know, kind of with what's going on, just going to, uh, you know, basically just try to enjoy some time with the family. And, uh, you know, it's been, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot going on for the head football coach of Grand Valley state. And uh, now we've got these practices wrapped up and, kind of in a position, you know, I'm just going to try to enjoy my family a little bit and obviously watch some football. I would say, you know, the, of the positive benefits of, uh, I wouldn't say benefits, of the positives of the COVID-19, there's a lot of things happening, but 
gotten a lot better at Zoom. Um, that would that would be up there, but also some time with the family. And hopefully you guys feel the same way a little bit too, that uh, you know, you, you just don't have as many things going on. I feel bad for our kids because some of the youth sports have been canceled, but on the flip side of that coin, I've had a lot more board games. I've got two sons. Uh, we play that we play the heck out of risk on the PlayStation. And uh, so we, uh, we, we were able to spend those times, you know, and it's kind of allows coaches with busy schedules and I know everybody in athletics, you guys are busy as heck too, uh, to be able to connect and uh, be able to do that. So yeah, that's uh that's plan. Just family football. It's got to be around a little bit. Well, Coach, happy Thanksgiving to you, the wife, and the kids. We look forward to uh, when the spring gets rolling to talk some more Grand Valley football with you. But we appreciate some time here this week, and uh, congratulations on getting that fall camp under wraps and staying healthy and safe with your entire team. And looking forward to more good things to come when the calendar turns to 2021. Perfect. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Coach. This has been a presentation of the Anchor Up podcast. Have a great day. Have a great Thanksgiving. And as always, Anchor Up.